This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hello, everyone. There has been a recent trend towards integrating ancient Eastern techniques of healing, like yoga and meditation, into modern medicine. Of late, there has been a heightened interest in using meditation in the management of several chronic diseases, with many studies suggesting adjunctive benefit of the same. A recent study suggests that transcendental meditation may be extremely useful in secondary prevention of coronary heart disease and may reduce cardiovascular events by as much as 48% over a five-year period. I am pleased to welcome Dr. Yashoda Bhaskar to discuss this further. Dr. Bhaskar is a board certified internist and a hospitalist with a passion for lifestyle medicine. She has been in practice for almost 20 years. She is also a certified Vipassana meditation teacher. Dr. Bhaskar is currently preparing to become a certified diplomat in lifestyle medicine this fall. She is also pursuing certification in life coaching and money mindset coaching. She hopes to work with fellow women physicians who have unique struggles in medicine around burnout, sexism, and discrimination. In her spare time, she loves to read by the beach, go for long walks, and listen to motivating, empowering podcasts and audiobooks. She also enjoys yoga and Zumba. Hi, Yashoda. Welcome to our podcast. Hi, Avishka. Thank you for having me as your guest. Thank you so much for coming on my show. You're welcome. Before we begin, a friendly reminder to all our listeners, I am looking to interview people who have had success with weight loss. Individual struggles and successes will be inspiring and beneficial for all the listeners. So if you or someone you know has had success with weight loss, please email me at host at decodingobesity.com. That is H-O-S-T at decodingobesity.com. So Yashoda, there is a lot of mysticism around meditation. Can you tell us what exactly are mindfulness and meditation? Mm. You know, Avishkar, all my life, I feel like my job has been to take really complex concepts and make them as simple as possible to explain to lay people. You know, we physicians have like this language of our own, right? We throw words around like cabbage and right. aortic stenosis and whatnot. And patients just look at us like, what the heck are they talking about? <laughs> and I want to bring the same sort of philosophy to mindfulness and meditation. You are right. There are a lot of misconceptions out there about it. You know, I've had people say, I can't meditate. I can't sit still for five minutes. I can't empty my mind. You know, I can't just stop my thoughts from coming. Um, I get fidgety. I get anxious. Or they would say things like, it brings up feelings in me that I just don't want to face. Uh, I mean, they don't quite say it like that, but they're like, oh, it just makes me uncomfortable, right? Like it makes right. me uncomfortable to sit with myself. And so 
I actually started looking into meditation slash mindfulness more than 20 years ago, actually, almost wow. when I started practicing. Because yeah, that's what, that was going to be my next question. How did you get started with all of this? Yeah, yeah. I actually came across John Kabat-Zinn and MBSR, you know, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, his program almost 20 some years ago. And it very informally actually sort of did it on my own for eight weeks and took some meditation classes locally and stuff like that. So I've had some touch. But to come back to your original question, really meditation and mindfulness, and there's some overlap there, is basically the process of sitting with whatever comes up in the moment. Okay. Being non-judgmental, being comfortable, not trying to get away from it, not trying to get towards it. There's no goal setting here. You know, and as humans, I think we find that concept very hard, right? <laughs> we always think yeah. you do something, it needs to produce an outcome. So if right. I go into the kitchen and cook, the outcome is food that I put in my mouth. If I go to work, the outcome is I make money so I can, you know, take care of my family. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I think meditation is so unique because there is literally no outcome that you're looking for. Okay. And I think that's why the concept is so hard for people to understand. They're like, but I'm supposed to be doing something. It's like, no, no. (laughs) You're not supposed to be doing anything. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Okay. All right. Um, And so when you started, uh, you you said you started about 20 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. How do you think it has helped you in your day-to-day life? I don't know that I would have survived without meditation. I'm just going to put it like that. You know, as a physician, we go through so much stress. Everybody goes through stress. And yeah. if I didn't have that sitting in the morning, five to 10 minute practice, I, I think I literally would have gone crazy. You know, I'm a very hyper person. Uh, it's very hard to like pin me down. <laughs> you know, I don't sit here for even a few minutes. And so the forcing of myself in a way in the beginning, right now it comes naturally right. to me. But in the beginning, I had to, I would find 55,000 excuses why not to sit on my meditation? Right? <laughs> you know, I've tried it and it's very, it's, it's not easy when you begin no. doing it because it's, you have to just sit down and do kind of do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's very difficult. Yes. And then, um, yeah. And then you're always kind of looking for an outcome when you're doing this. And in the beginning, it can be very difficult because you're not really achieving any outcome because there is no goal that you've set. Exactly. The goal essentially is just to sit and do nothing. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. So how do you think it can help people with obesity? Well, I think it's all interrelated and interconnected because what happens gradually over time when you persist is you actually will start observing your thoughts. You know, you start realizing that you are not your thoughts. You are not your actions. You are not anything that, you know, we have this idea in our mind or, you know, what the Buddhist terms, are, they call it ego, right? And so we have this, this identity, this personality, you know, like I'm a doctor, I'm a wife, I'm a, you know, blah, blah, blah. And over time, what happens when you just sit on your cushion for five to 10 minutes, do nothing, maybe focus on your breathing, thoughts will come up, you come back to your breathing, is you're able to take it off the cushion into your life. And so what happens is when you put that distance between your, you know, your true inner self and this identity or persona that we have created over time, you start really almost automatically making choices that are good for you. 
whether it's in, you know, the food choices you make, the shopping choices you make, you know, what you're going to say to your wife if she gets mad at you, you know, there's that, you know, what the space between, uh, between reaction and response, right? Or, you know, um, and that's the subtle magic of meditation. Yeah, so I came across uh, a systemic review whose results suggested that, you know, mindful meditation is actually effective and decreases binge eating and emotional eating. Definitely. And, and interestingly, there was a randomized control trial done to see if meditation has any effect on uh, short-term weight loss. So what they did was very interesting. So they used, um, they compared meditation along with the standard uh, behavioral weight loss program versus just standard behavioral weight loss program. And what they found was that with the mindful uh, meditation added to the behavioral weight loss program, uh, there was uh, about a 2.8 kilogram uh, more weight loss in the short term, of course, compared to the standard behavioral modification for weight loss. And they thought it's primarily related to the improvements in the eating behaviors and the dietary restraint. So people had a better dietary restraint and better control over themselves um, with the meditation added. So, yeah, so it, it's very interesting because, you know, this is one of those ancient things that initially got sidelined by modern medicine, and now we are rediscovering this thing. So yeah. it's it's really interesting to kind of, you know, see this this concept come into medicine right. and using this actually as a part of therapy. Right, right. Totally. You know, the other uh, connection I would say between meditation and obesity is over time, you know, we have a lot of negative self-talk, right? A lot of people have a lot of, I mean, we would not talk to a neighbor or a friend or a family sometimes the way we talk to ourselves. We beat ourselves yeah, up a lot. I think we are our worst critics. We are our worst critics. And I think what happens again, that aspect changes too, you know, because when you think about like eating disorders or disordered eating, if you will, not necessarily anorexia or bulimia, maybe not clinically significant, but just in general, uh, you know, it's it's because of negative self-talk. And what happens when you sit with yourself and, like I said, you make that distance between, you know, what you call your atma, right? That's what we call it in India, your, your soul or your true inner self. And you realize that your ego or your persona, your id is different from who you are, which is basically we are all good beings. You know, we are all created by the same creator. Mm -hmm you actually develop the self-love, you develop compassion for yourself, you know, you're willing to give yourself a break. And so then what happens is when you reach for that bag of potato chips or ice cream or whatever, you go, is this good for me? You know, I mean, I'm nourishing myself, right? And, and so when you develop that self-love and compassion and being okay with yourself and saying, you know, you're a flawed human being, but that's okay, you're trying every day, that's what it did for me, you know, is it gave me permission to be human. And yeah, I tripped up sometimes and, you know, did stupid things or made the wrong choices. But over time, again, you're training your that mind body connection. And I think that is the power of meditation is, you know, there is you don't realize that you're actually setting a goal, but you are setting a goal, which is to improve yourself overall. Right. That's the goal eventually of pretty much anything we do. But you don't sit on the cushion with that conscious thought that I'm doing this to improve all aspects of my life, including my weight or, you know, whatever else might be going on. 
So yeah, in a sense, you're kind of basically creating a space between your emotions and yourself and taking that space to understand how your emotions are playing into whatever activities you're doing or whatever actions you're taking. Absolutely. Yeah. Listeners, if this is your first time tuning in, I encourage you to subscribe to the show wherever you're listening so that you can get notified as soon as the new episodes are released. Yashoda, coming back to this topic of uh, meditation, I have been fascinated by this, you know, for the longest time. However, it's very difficult for me to sit down even for five minutes and do this. And I'm sure, like you'd mentioned, you would have come across a lot of myths and objections from people and excuses. Um, I shouldn't use the word excuses probably, but, you know, a lot of objections because people have preconceived notions about meditation, especially from your patients. What, what were the common objections and these preconceived notions that you came across and how did you how did you try and convince them to kind of think the other way okay so let's let's flip the question and do it another way okay, okay. i'm actually going to lead you guys through a session right now great great okay. ready for it yes okay so i would say wherever you are whoever is listening to this podcast just Stop doing whatever you're doing. Well, except listening to the podcast. And, and except driving. Possible. If you're driving, except driving. Yes, except driving. If you're driving, don't do this. Maybe do this once you get home and you're in a safe, in a safe space. Um, so get really comfortable. You could be sitting uh, on a cushion, on a chair. You could be lying down. It doesn't matter what position you're in. And I would ask you to just close your eyes and put your hands in your lap. Any position that's comfortable for you, your hands can be turned up, down, crossed. Just get really comfortable. And if you're sitting in a chair, make sure your feet are planted on the earth firmly. Feel the grounding of your feet on the floor, your seat on the cushion or the chair that's holding you. Just really tune into your body. Just come right back here where you are physically right now. Let the whole world around you just fade away. It's in the background. The sounds, the smells, just everything fading away into the background. It's just you, your body. Relax your forehead. Relax your eyes, your mouth, your shoulders. Your arms, your legs. Just come right here where you are right now, this moment. And then if you can, just notice that you're breathing. 
What a miracle. You know, we're not even conscious of our breathing throughout the day. There's no need to try to change your breathing in any way. Just notice air coming in, air flowing out, air coming in, air flowing out. Relax your belly if you're holding it tight. And if your mind is jumping around like a squirrel, that's okay. That's what the mind is supposed to do. When you notice it, however, just bring your attention back to your breathing. and out of your body, fresh oxygen. We're going to slowly Come to an end. Just gradually open your eyes. And you're back in the world. Wow, that was very relaxing, Yashoda. Thank you. I mean, even while I'm doing this podcast, it was like, it was, I could feel it. I could, I, I feel, certainly feel more relaxed right now. There you go. That was it. And what was it? Less than two minutes? Yeah. I don't think two yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah. And it was, yeah, I mean, you see, you see this uh, profound relaxation, you know, almost immediately. I think the important thing is not to criticize yourself while you're doing it, even if you're losing track of, you know, your mind kind of focusing on things. I think that's the key in meditation, at least as far as I understand. Totally. I think you just, and so this is what I do, Avishka, when you asked, when patients tell me, I can't do this, I can't, you know, I want to do it, I want to try it. Most of them say that, Dr. B, I really want to try it because I feel like it's going to really help my overall, you know, my stress levels, my health, whatever. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. And it was literally less than two minutes. And I tell them, you can do this for five minutes, you know. And the other thing, people have this misconception that they need to sit on the cushion for an hour. They're like, I don't have an hour. I don't have an hour. <laughs> right? So yeah. that's another common misconception that people think it's uh, time related. It really is not. You could do like three sessions during the daytime, you know, two two-minute sessions, and that's six minutes of meditation you got in. Wow. Anybody can find six minutes in that's a day. True. That is right? true. That is um, cool. I recommend apps a lot. There's one that I really love because it's free and it's got thousands and thousands and thousands of meditations and it's called Insight Timer and it's available for both Android and, you know, Apple. Um, I like Calm. I like Headspace. Um, again, the technique itself is really simple, but it's powerful. Right. And these apps offer a guided meditation, right? Cool. How important do you think it is to have a teacher when you're doing starting meditation or doing meditation? Yeah, I think accessibility is, is different for different people, right? 
I would say in the beginning, it's probably a good idea to listen to a, a meditation teacher that you really enjoy listening to, that you really connect with. And then over time, you're going to find that you're just able to do it on your own. You develop your own style. Uh, for example, the Vipassana meditation that I trained in and I'm certified in is actually an open eye meditation. And I, I just went through the close eye right now because people are more familiar with that. But initially, it was very uncomfortable for me to sit on a cushion with my, you know, your eyes are open, but your gaze is down. You're not, you know, you're sort of unfocused. But the philosophy there is we don't walk around in our life with our eyes closed, right? So how do you get that sense of calm that we just experienced a few minutes ago during our day-to-day -day life, you know, as the children are screaming and running around, as, you know, the pandemic stress is hitting us? How can we tune back into that space, that inner, that, that quiet space? And you will find that over time, you're able to tune into it better and better and better. It's training, right? It's mind training is what we're doing, really. And so when you're having that moment of stress and everything is just like, you know, hitting the fan, you can get to it like that, like that, that three deep breaths and you're there. There, okay. It's just about training, and you get better and better. And like, and like every training, like if uh, somebody asks me go run a marathon tomorrow, you know, five mile marathon, I'm gonna like laugh at them. Like, are you kidding me? There's no way I can do that, <laughs> right? So it's the same thing. Yeah. The mind is trainable, right? We know about neuroplasticity now, right? Right. What you focus on grows, and so if this is this is such an important concept. You know, and, you know, now they're teaching meditation in schools. There are actually studies that show instead of putting children in detention, if you teach them meditation, things like ADHD, you know, and all these behavioral, you know, so-called behavioral labels that we give children are actually being taken care of in a much more healthy way. The only thing I'll tell you, we're in a, in a society where we're looking for a quick fix, you know, give me a pill and fix it. Uh, unfortunately, there is no meditation pill yet. <laughs> <laughs> so it does require some work and consistency is key, just like every other habit and every other practice. I don't care if you sit for one minute, two minutes, five minutes or 10 minutes a day. Hit that cushion or hit that whatever, you know, a designated spot. It's like, you know, how we form habits in our head, right? So for me... Right. I roll out of my bed and my meditation cushion is literally by the side of my bed. Like I do that even before I wash my face, brush my teeth or anything, because I know the minute I leave that space, it's probably gone. I'm crazy. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so it's, it's about training your mind to be, and you don't need a specific meditation cushion. It can be anything. anything. It can be your chair. It can be anywhere you're sitting. You can essentially do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. But find a spot like, you know, because your mind goes like, you know, when you go to the kitchen, you go to the kitchen to cook or eat, right? You don't go to the kitchen right. to sleep. So, right. so the, the important thing is have a small, you know, a, a small corner somewhere, you know, something like an altar helps. For me, I like having like my little objects there. You know, I have a little Buddha statue. It's these things sure. that we train our mind to say, oh, this spot is meant for this task. This thing, right? exactly. Yeah. Right. And um, when do you think that people can start seeing changes or when have you seen in your, you know, coaching your, your students and your patients, when do they really start seeing those changes in their behaviors? Because like you mentioned, everybody's looking for a quick fix. And unfortunately, there aren't uh, quick fixes for some of the things. 
like meditation and mindfulness it takes time right. and practice to, to develop but what can people expect in terms of you know when should they be expecting to see the results because everybody wants at the end of the day there is um, you know there has to be there is a goal at the end and that is to achieve <laughs> that is to achieve to achieve that uh, state wherein you're more calm and you, you're okay with yourself and you know you're you're able to tackle your urges your emotions much better so when do you see these changes occurring usually how long does it take okay so i will give you my meditation teacher's response again which is there is no goal the no goal is the goal okay okay that's it's a, it's a really hard concept for us human beings who are we should be called human doings right not <laughs> yeah. we're not being <laughs> everything has to have a goal everything has to have you know something we're achieving too the goal of meditation is no goal i i cannot stress it enough having said that shifts happen very subtly you know it's one of these things where you know like with weight loss or with your or with your bank balance you can there's you, there's tangible right you can there's say, number oh, there right i have you know i had 100 dollars yesterday and i have 1000 dollars you know in a month meditation is not like that it can be so subtle that people like awaken like 6 months later and go wow like i don't know when it happened but it did you know my life is so much better now i can't put my finger on it i'll tell you the key is to believe i think that that's what right. i would say trust and believe in the process okay i think that's true for medicine anyway because 50% true. of it is believing in what is being done exactly. and th- that that's how it works exactly but i think you know because the skepticism we talked about that right like right. you know in medicine when we give somebody a beta blocker or a statin we expect a certain outcome. We know it's going to happen, right? right. 99.9% of the time. With meditation, it's not that there is that skepticism. Is it going to work for me? Is it not going to work for me? How is it going to work for me? You know, all these questions and doubts arise. So the first thing is to trust that the process works. That's what I meant by that, you know. The second thing is, like I said, consistency. The people who do it consistently, and I'm saying, you know, maybe five days a week. You don't have to do it seven days a week. Like, give yourself a break, right? Even if you do it five days a week and you're not questioning it, you know, you're trusting the process, you're not overanalyzing. I think we tend to do that a lot. Again, as physicians, you know, and I'm sure engineers do it, lawyers probably do it. We overanalyze everything. There is no analysis here. There is just get on your cushion. Pay attention to your breathing, right? Your thoughts will come up. Notice that. Don't get mad at yourself. Okay, the best example I can give you of training your mind is how do you train your puppy, right? So you like you tell your puppy, sit down. And the pup looks at you and goes, yeah, right, it runs away. You bring it back, <laughs> like you need to sit. It runs away. You don't get mad at it. You don't yell at it. You don't, you know, curse at it. You're like, it's a puppy. It needs to be trained. That's our mind. When you bring that same energy to your mind and to this process and make it fun, you know, the puppy running away is kind of funny, right? Like we we have this this emotion of joy around it. Oh God, here it goes again. And how long is it going to take me? That's sort of that being willing to be human, you know? Right. So that's what I would say. And the changes do come. I mean, they do. And the more you, you know, it, it's like over time, it's like there's never, it seems like there's never a peak. 
right? Like people who meditated for 20 years are yeah. at a much sort of higher level of consciousness, if you will, than somebody who's meditated for 10 days. Right. So, but but you do start seeing the effects, at least the relaxation part of it almost immediately when you start doing it. Yes. So at least at least that part is there. Right. And, you know, over, over time, you can actually start becoming a human being and not a human doing <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly we're training ourselves to be human beings yes <laughs> exactly yeah so Yashoda, you mentioned that you were trained in on your certified in vipassana meditation and there are different types of meditation does it matter what type of meditation you're doing or is just about starting it's like flavors of ice cream you just start <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, there is a little bit of experimentation that happens. You know, you mentioned in the in the beginning of your talk, transcendental meditation, where they give you a month, you know, a specialized mantra. You have to pay thousands of dollars. I don't know how much it is now, but it used to be, you know, a big chunk of money. You know, Deepak Chopra does his own sort of meditation. You know, there's all variations of the same right. theme. But I think, right. the, like I mentioned earlier, I like to make things very simple. I don't like complicated stuff. Right. I don't like complex ideas because it turns people off. You know, it's like if it's too much, I don't want to deal with it. Exactly. So yeah. The main thing is start. You can start now. You don't have to wait for a certain time, day, buy a meditation cushion, nothing. Right. Wherever you are in the chair, just like we did, take two minutes to just Tune into your body, you know, come. That's the thing is bring your mind into the zip code of where your body is, right? Our minds tend to be in a different zip code from our body all the time, you know? <laughs> all the time, yeah. And so that's that whole being in the present, in the moment, being no matter what the moment is. It could be horrible. You're going through some craziness. You've just heard some bad news. You just lost a loved one. You just got a bad diagnosis. It doesn't matter because ultimately those are the moments of our life. Being in the moment with it as is, not trying to change anything. You're not trying to change anything here. You're just being there without judgment, with a lot of compassion, love, you know, and just sit with this amazing miracle we've been given called breathing. Can you imagine if human beings were put in charge of breathing? We would all be dead by now. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's a good thing it goes on whether our mind is still or there or we're sleeping or we're awake. Thank God we're not in charge of our own breathing. You know, and 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 you know, Avishkar, if you remember our physiology lessons from you know first year medical students, breathing is probably the only function or I shouldn't even say probably, it's the only human function that happens both unconsciously and that right. you can control consciously. Exactly, yeah. You can't control your heart rate. You can't control, right. you know, your, the, na- the, the, the growth of your nails. You can't control how fast your hair grows. The or you lose it, how fast you lose it. Is breathing, which is, it's, so, it's such a fascinating topic to me. And we don't pay enough attention and focus on it. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, definitely true. I think the the key is to get started, not um, going to sort of an analysis paralysis of which type of meditation is the best. There is no best. That's um, right. As long as you start and you start doing it, and you know, it's just like starting anything in life. Exactly. You start a process. You have to just start, take the first step, exactly. and things just fall into place as you go along. Right. Right. You know, and, and the one thing I'll point out, you know, when do we start things? When do we start a habit is when we are in pain, right? Or when, right. You know, when we want to achieve something, you know, but usually even when we want to achieve something is usually we've hit a pain point in our life. And a lot of times, I mean, and right now, 
there's so much pain in this world. There's so much stress going on, right? Like people say, oh, I don't want to start when I'm going through all the craziness in my life right now. And you know what I say? That is the best time to start. The best motivator in our life, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. is pain. That's when true. When we are suffering is when we're like, I got to do something right now, right? When you go to the doctor and the doctor says you have a diagnosis of, you know, lung cancer. How many people quit smoking when they get that diagnosis, right? Yeah. Or somebody who's been gaining weight gradually, you know, talking about obesity. It's been kind of slowly packing on the pounds and you go to the doctor's office and they're like, guess what? You have diabetes now, you know, you're, you have, you have right. heart disease. Or they come into the hospital with a stroke and they're like, oh my God, you know. So unfortunately, those are the moments that awaken humans that we need to change something in our life. And what I tell people is don't wait for that moment. Don't right. And, and yeah, and I think the other important part is consistency is key because you have to kind of build that habit into yourself. Doing it once, twice, thrice is not the answer. You have to keep doing it and doing it and so that it becomes a part of you and becomes a habit that you develop. And once you start doing that and once it's a habit, then it's kind of comes naturally to you. Right, right. And also what will happen is when we do have those pain points in, in our lives, right? Because life is not easy for anybody. We know we're going to come across. It throws you curveballs all the time. Like, you know, right now you might be feeling okay. You still probably have a job. You know, your family's doing well. Your health is good. This is also the time to start practicing this because when that job falls through or when you get a bad news or something, you have, you have this cushion to fall back on. Right. You, you have you have keeping you have the mechanism to cope with it. You, you're more resilient. Right. I think that's why meditation is so powerful. It's really it's you can do it when you're well. You can do it when you're unwell. But when things are not going so well in your life, it just gives you one extra tool to cope, to be resilient. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. And I think that's very important for people suffering uh, from obesity as well, because, you know, if there are certain drastic shifts in whatever you're doing, for example, you lose a job, or you're suddenly even moving to another place, or, you know, even, even if there's a happy moment where you're getting married or whatever, any shift, a lot of times we see that people who are suffering from obesity will have a that drastic change will cause them to gain their weight again because exactly. it takes time for them to adjust to the new environment and to the new emotional state. And I think that is where meditation may actually be helpful as well because that is your inner that is your place that you go to to feel calm right. and be more in control of yourself. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's the connection. Is you know, like we said, the the purpose. Okay, if there is a goal or a purpose, because I know. We, <laughs> <laughs> The goal or the purpose ultimately of meditation is you're able, whatever that you develop in there, you know, when you're sitting on the cushion, you're able to take that off the cushion. You're able to take it into your real life. So that's the thing, you know, like, for example, we were talking about if you're training for a marathon, let's say, you know, or you go on a diet, you have a very fixed goal. It's directly connected, right? Like if I run, if I train, then I can run that five mile marathon. If I, you know, watch my diet, then I can lose that 20 pounds. There's a very direct connection with meditation. The direct con connection is not I'm becoming a better meditator. Like there's, there, that's not the goal at all, right? Right. The goal is as I meditate, it's going to touch all these other aspects of my life such that I can make the decisions that are right for me. 
And right. so that's that's the connection. You know, it's an indirect goal. It's not a direct goal with meditation. Yeah, so it's kind of like one thing that's going to help you in so many other spheres of your health and Absolutely. your well-being. Oh, and your relationship too. Trust me. Oh. <laughs> uh, so we have, let's just call it discussions with my husband. <laughs> you know, when tempers are frayed, um, you come back. You know, and you go, wow, like what's important here to me, right? Like I love this man. Is it more important for me to be right? Is it more important for me to be kind, right? Right. So it literally touches every aspect of you. I mean, I like I told you, Avishkar, I, this was not me 20 years ago, you know, and just looking back, I, re, I mean, there, obviously there were a lot of factors. I won't say it was only meditation, right? I mean, we change as human sure. beings. There's so many things that happen to us. But I would say that was probably one of the key things that made my life, like, every, you know, so many aspects of my life just better. And right. so when you asked how quickly people can see the change, what I would say is you will be having changes, but your mind doesn't like connect that till retrospectively. You look back and you go, wow it's because i meditated you know this is what happened this is what happens yeah okay so what are the resources that uh, our listeners can use to learn more about meditation oh my god millions and millions so that's the other problem right with the internet and with google right. there's bad information there's good information you know the mbsr program is a it's a scientifically validated program by john kabat-zinn you know he started this oh gosh i think almost 30 years ago. I don't know how long it's been going on, but he really made the connection of MBSR with chronic pain. You know, there's many, many studies there that he's done and his colleagues have done that have shown the, you know, better management of chronic pain with mindfulness-based stress reduction. There's programs and instructors all over the country. You know, it's an eight-week program. It also has a little bit of like yoga, in, you know, incorporated into it. Um, so that's a good resource to begin with if you want to like go the full, you know, the full hog. Um, and my, I like my meditation teacher. I have to give her a shout out. Her name is Susan Piver, P-I-V-E-R. And she's got a bunch of YouTube videos, which are just great. You know, she's very practical advice. Um, she is a Buddhist, but she doesn't really bring in a lot of like Buddhist concepts unless you really want it. She makes it, she makes it very accessible. You know, it's not some woo-woo thing out there that somebody is practicing in the Himalayas, right? <laughs> the woman, in, I think she's in New York or Boston, she's on the East Coast, and just brings it right here, right now, how do you do it? You know, and um, yeah, that's the instruction course that I, I took and got certified and um, I practice to this day, so. Okay, great. And you also offer coaching sessions uh, in mindfulness and meditation, right? Well, I do a bunch of different things. So I'm getting um, certified as a life coach, but I'm also getting certified as a money mindset coach because to me, the fascination of, you know, I'm actually going to be doing a talk here pretty soon between money and uh, uh, obesity, interestingly. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's, <laughs> so it's like MMO, I guess, you know, it's like money and meditation and obesity. I mean, this is link, right? like all our aspects are linked. Yeah. Um, so, um, what was your question again? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So I was just asking if you offer coaching sessions, yes. um, you know, on mindfulness and meditation. So how can people reach out to you, uh, in case they want to learn from you, say, for example? Yeah. You know, um, right. I'm still in the process of creating, I have a website, 
but that was for my lifestyle medicine. So I'm pivoting now and I am in the process of creating a website, but they can find me on Facebook or Instagram, you know, just put in Yashoda Bhaskar. Instagram is uh, Yashoda Bhaskar MD. Okay. And uh, yeah, that's probably the best way they can find me is through Facebook or Instagram. Great, great. Uh, Listeners, if you like what you've been hearing on this podcast, I invite you to go wherever you're listening to this episode and leave us a comment or review. Tell me what you love about this episode or better yet, tell me what you want to hear more of uh, in the future. Again, if you've had success with weight loss and are willing to share your story, please reach out to me at host at decodingobesity.com. Um, so before we close, uh, Yeshoda, do you have any last words or any tips for um, our listeners? I would say, you know, give meditation a chance. Try to set aside some of those preconceived notions or things you might have heard from others that's preventing you from even just giving it a try. Um, and I think you'll be very pleasantly surprised by the results you get in your overall life. I think I'm going to start doing it. I've been putting it off for a while now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I might I might do some group um, meditation coaching st- sessions. So stay tuned. Great. Yeah, great, great, great. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Yashoda, for all the insight into meditation that you've given us. Thank you, Avishka. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Thank you. And it Thank, you. Here. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. I'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.